Cheerscast is a part of the Fire and Water Network. This always happens. You always squirm out of these things unscathed. You did a terrible thing. I know it. No, you don't. <laughs> you put me through hell. This time it's going to be different. I'm going to make you suffer. What are you, what are you going to do? I don't know. <laughs> you want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and this is another mailbag episode where I respond to the listener feedback from the first 13 episodes of Cheers' fifth season. That's right, we're halfway through season five, which means we are about a full season's worth of episodes away from being halfway done with the entire series. That's pretty exciting. And I know the first half of Season 5 was a bit uneven, as it's dominated by the forced and, at times, painful courtship of Sam and Diane, but the second half is a lot smoother. The next couple episodes we're going to cover are really, really good, I assure you. But before that, I want to respond to the comments left on the Fire & Water Podcast website. That's fireandwaterpodcast.com. I won't reply to every comment each episode received, but I will try to represent everyone who engaged in the discussion. So, right off the bat, the Season 5 premiere called The Proposal, which I covered with guests Jared and Jason Albrecht, this review got comments from Siskoid, Mike Thomas, Rob Kelly, and Tim Price. Mike Thomas said, Great to have Cheerscast back for Season 5. With Frazier and Woody having now been made full cast members in the past two seasons, I suspect it was becoming clear that the show did not need to rely so heavily on the Sam and Diane relationship, and that the show could go on when Shelley Long decided to leave. Cheers' amazing longevity is due largely to the fact that they struck gold with the additions of Frazier, Woody, and Lilith. The strong cast that resulted propelled the show to not only survive Diane's departure, but to actually thrive comedically as it became more of a true ensemble. That is a great point. I I don't think I could put it better. Um, Certainly, when one of your leads is going to leave, can the show survive? Well, depends on how strong the rest of the cast is, and they were already really strong, but the fact that they buttressed it with some amazing heavyweight performers like Frazier and Lilith and Woody, uh, yeah, that, that certainly helped keep the show not just afloat, but as you said, it, it thrived in later years when more of the plots revolved around those characters, yeah. Uh, Rob said, I have to imagine Kelsey Grammer, now promoted to regular, was overjoyed at the thought of Shelley Long leaving the show. This would give him the chance to be in non-Diane-centric stories. And my lord, did he crush every joke he was given, pretty much through the rest of the series' run. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rob said, I had wanted to watch it anyway, but I started on True Detective based on Ryan's recommendation. It is very good, and Harrelson is great in it. I don't think anyone watching Cheers in 1985 would have said, yeah, the guy playing Woody is going to be the biggest star coming out of this show. Uh, that's really, really freaky to think about, but I mean, like, like right like on the heels of his, his stardom, even in the 90s, like, white men can't jump. Okay, yeah, that's kind of a predictable thing, but followed that up with natural-born killers. I mean, he certainly 
uh, he, he made the road to his own like A-list celebrity status a little bit rocky just by the pictures that he chose and uh, some of his uh, off-screen um, behaviors and, and, and quirks. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's incredible. And again, um, the the HBO show True Detective gets my highest recommendation. In particular, the first season with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal show. Uh, episode two, The Cape Cad, with guest Paul Spataro, received comments from Siskoid, Mike Thomas, Tim Price, and Coconut Phone. Tim Price said, I had a different take on this story. If Sam and Diane had been dating, this would have been Sam trying to hide a romantic dalliance with another woman. Instead, he's trying to convince Diane there is another woman, unsuccessfully. So it's a reversal of the story that had been done with these two. That's perhaps what makes Sam even more desperate and pathetic. He knows how to handle juggling women, but he's lost when it comes to pretending having a date. It usually would be the socially inept man who's in that position, or so I've heard. I'm not saying that improves the story to any degree, but it does tickle me to see this reversal play out with Sam. Very, very good point, Tim. Yeah, to think of it that way, that uh, as the, the him trying to pretend to convince Diane that he likes another woman when clearly he doesn't is just a, a reversal of trying to hide the identity of another one. That's very cool. Good, good insight there. Um, episode 3, Money Dearest, with Greg Solomon. Got comments from Coconut Phone, Siskoid, Mike Thomas, and Rob. You're pretty much going to be saying the same... You're going to be hearing the same four or five names on every one of these comments, just in a different order. Uh, Coconut Phone said, Yes, Esther Clavin is the only good part of this episode, and we're lucky to have her. For me, Cliff-centric episodes just don't work. He's my least favorite character by a mile. He's great in small doses, but never really as the centerpiece. The exceptions are his iconic Jeopardy episode, and the final one where he moves Esther to a retirement home, and the bar assumes that he has murdered her. Uh, yeah, shoutouts for those future episodes. Those are really, really good. And for the most part, I agree. Uh, I mean, I, I think... Cliff is the hardest character to like, which makes him the least likable character uh, of the whole ensemble. But I would not want to get rid of him. I would never want to lose him because of the things that he does add as a smaller component, as a fixture of the bar. He is an incredible, incredible supporting part of the show. But yeah, the episodes that focus on him, he just doesn't have the doesn't have the personality or the or the leading traits that you want to focus that much time on. So. Uh, and Cisco had added to that comment, you hit the nail on the head when you said the episode fails on a basic level because its stakes aren't really about any of the regulars, and the one regular arguably involved is made to look extremely bad to fit the very, 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 very sitcom plot. Magical Inheritance is up there with a judge condemning someone to be Seinfeld's butler. <laughs> good, good. Nice, uh, nice illusion there. Uh, episode four, Abnormal Psychology with Jonathan and Maggie Schaefer-Hames. This got feedback from Siskoid, John Schaefer-Hames himself, and Mike Thomas. Mike said, Frazier and Lilith were hilarious from the get-go. They could have potentially had a spin-off immediately in 1986, but I'm glad they stayed on Cheers and saved the Frasier spin-off until after Cheers ended. Cheers was much better with them on it. 
Frazier was not only funny, but could also play almost a leading or straight man role with the other characters when Sam was gone or involved in another subplot. In fact, there was an episode in the Rebecca years when Ted Danson was off doing a movie and appeared only in the cold open. The main plot involved Carla, but Frazier sort of filled in for Sam by helping Carla work out her problem, so Frazier ended up being a utility player on Cheers, which showed he could later be the lead character on his own spinoff once Cheers ended. Yep, absolutely. I, I kind of mentioned that myself. Um, the episode that Mike is referring to here is called The Ghost and Mrs. LeBeck. And yeah, it's Ted Danson does technically appear in the episode because he is in every episode of Cheers, but in that one he was on it for like five seconds. Um, and, and the rest of the show is, is Carla. It's a Carla-centric episode, but Frasier is playing opposite her as kind of like the, the foil and the straight man. Um, and yeah, that definitely showed that he could be the leader of this group when called upon. So, uh, and and yeah, the actor. I mean, just I mean, probably the thing that goes unsung, but it's such a credit to him is whenever you need a reaction shot, like go to Frasier because no matter what the rest of the cast is saying or doing or how goofy or silly or spiteful it seems. Kelsey Grammer's responses just in the background, the way he shakes his head, the way he rolls his eyes, is just unbelievably funny. So. Episode 5, House of Horrors, with formal dining in used brick with guest host Siskoid, received comments from Mike Thomas, Ward Hill Terry, Siskoid, and Coconut Phone. Ward Hill Terry, a.k.a. Terry O'Malley, said... By listening to various Fire and Water podcasts, I have heard much about Siskoid's early years. He seems to have found a non-linear way to use this medium as a form of autobiography, and I love it. We all do. We all do. It's, it's very special. Uh, Ward said, Ryan, I listen to every Cheers cast, even though I don't tell you. I don't recall seeing any of these episodes, but I do remember watching the season finale. However, I seem to recall discussions with my sister and others about the fate of Sam and Diane. At the macro level, that topic was part of the contemporaneous pop culture for almost five years. I've been wanting to ask you, do you know the Bloom County Strip where Opus laments, What's worse, this is Thursday, which means I'm missing Cheers. To which Cutter John responds by producing a small TV and saying, Whoa, we're not savages here. Oh, that's nice. That's, I like that. I, I didn't know that particular story. I'm, I'm familiar with Bloom County. I love Opus, but um, that's good. Uh, Terry says, Regarding Diane's motivation and behavior this season... Given the personnel challenges facing the writing staff, and from the perspective of one who has not watched these episodes, just listened to Cheerscast, I can justify Diane. Diane hates to be wrong. Often she cannot be wrong. She must not be wrong. If she has decided that she and Sam will be wed, then she is right, regardless of what Sam thinks. Sam hates for Diane to be right and will do whatever he can to prove her wrong, including breaking a date this episode. Diane's confidence in her intelligence allows her to think of the marriage as inevitable and as predictable as Norm having another beer. That's uh, that, that's really good, yeah. Just like her her stubbornness won't allow her to conceive of anything, any alternative to their marriage, which actually comes to a head. I, I think she admits as much in the Chambers versus Malone episode. Uh, and he continues, regarding Carla's house, it must be in East Boston. Most of Boston's Logan Airport is built on fill in Boston Harbor. There is a neighborhood not even a couple of hundred yards away across the water from some runways. One expects that the ubiquity of airplane traffic is rather like the elevated train track next to Elwood Blues's room in Blues Brothers. Do trains go by often? So often you don't even notice. 
All that in a Blues Brothers reference. Uh, you know me too well. Episode 6, Tan and Wash, with guests Marlene Stemmy, got comments from Siskoid, Mike Thomas, Jeff R., and Coconut Phone. Siskoid said, I do believe we had a laundromat slash sun tanning and arcade slash pool room here as well, in the 90s anyway. you got to have something to do while you wait. Yeah, maybe it was a... Maybe it was a time period thing or a regional thing, but I, I, the tan and wash concept I was like, yeah, I've seen those, but that was you know decades later. Uh, Cisco had said, I've never used tanning technology, so I don't know if they named their machines. The Bahama Mama is a signature drink at a restaurant chain on this side of the border. Don't know about you or if the name has some older origin. Bahama Mama is absolutely a popular drink. Yeah, that's that was how I would associate it before I thought of a tanning machine, but yeah. Episode 7, Young Dr. Weinstein with Brandon Davis got comments from Rob, Coconut Phone, Siskoid, and Mike Thomas. Rob said, Regarding the discussion of Sam and Fraser's friendship, for Sam, it's all of the upside he has with Diane, none of the downside. Sam, almost despite himself, aspires to be smarter, and he gets that from being friends with Fraser. But because there's no romantic component, Fraser doesn't drive Sam insane the way Diane does. And Fraser gets to be the regular guy he sometimes aspires to be. So while on paper they are a mismatch, it's really a perfect friendship. Yep, yep, perfectly said. Uh, episode 8, Knights of the Scimitar, with guest Isabel Ayer, got comments from Rob, Siskoid, Coconut Phone, and Mike Thomas. Cisco had said, You guys covered the heart of the episode quite well, but to comment on the Knights subplot, I have to wonder what this lodge is all about. Such clubs are about two things, as far as I understand. One, networking, but they have just outlawed that. And two, drinking away from their wives, but they've just outlawed that. Indeed, a club who take Cliff as a member... <laughs> That's a good point. Like, what? what is the whole point of that lodge if those... What do they get together for? <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, episode 9, Thanksgiving Orphans, with John Trumbull and Rick Heineken, got comments from Siskoid, Mike Thomas, Jeff R., Rob, and Coconut Phone. Mike said, I think this episode is the first time, and one of the few times, that the full cast is together in an extended scene away from the bar. The only other example I can think of off the top of my head is the classic one-hour tenth season finale in which Woody and Kelly get married. Uh, to that point, Jeff R. pointed out that some of the Bar Wars episodes with Gary's Old Town Tavern take place away from the bar, and specifically the bowling episode, which happened in season four. Uh, I also believe that there's a scene set at a funeral in a future episode, which includes most, if not all, of the major cast members. Um, Rob added, Sam's salute to Coach and the rest of the group's reaction gets me every time. It's great to be reminded that Coach is never far from Sam's mind. Even with the cast caked in food, it's touching. On the other end of the spectrum, Diane's guttural yelp, Stop this immediately! makes me laugh every time. It's a, yeah, phenomenal. Uh, episode 10, Everyone Imitates Art, with guest Tim Price, received comments from Rob, Siskoid, Coconut Phone, and Jeff R. Rob said, This is such a great episode of the show. Once again, Shelley Long just brings it. Her speech about how this tiny poetry magazine will somehow end up covering the globe reminded me of some classic Abbott and Costello routines, which sound as if they have some sort of internal logic but are really just gibberish. Plus, I had never heard of a wiki-up. Even after all of that, they then find a way to turn it into a relationship episode with a classic sign-off, Sam's pathetic four paper clips, 
The way Ted Danson oh so carefully reinserts the card into its assigned spot says so much without ever saying a word. Uh, episode 11, The Book of Samuel with Mike Gillis. Got comments from Jeff R., Siskoid, and Coconut Phone. Uh, and Jeff absolutely wins this episode because in reference to Sam's cleaning woman asking Woody for you know cleaning supplies and Woody thinking that she's talking about something sexual, Jeff quoted the Cardi B song, W-A-P, bring a bucket and a mop to this, well, to what W-A-P stands for. Wow, Jeff, that was whew, chef's kiss. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, episode 12, Dance, Diane, Dance with Rob Kelly. Got comments from Mike Thomas and Siskoid. Uh, and finally, episode 13, Chambers versus Malone with guest Al Sedano. Got comments from Siskoid, Mike Thomas, and Coconut Phone. Coconut Phone said, This is nowhere near the bottom of Cheers episodes for me. For me, it sticks out at the very least as an important episode. Any episode that has such a huge impact on the ongoing continuity is going to be a must-watch for me. It's silly, a little dark, and absurd at times, but it's well-acted, funny, and heartfelt. Those final moments between Sam and Diane are wonderful. True, true. Good, good point. Um, that's all for the website comments. Uh, also got a new email from a listener named Eric Kench. Eric writes, Hello, Ryan. I wanted to write and say how much I've been enjoying your Cheers podcast. I've recently started watching the show from the beginning, and only after a few weeks I'm already in Season 4. I found your podcast to be the perfect supplement after finishing an episode. You and your guests act as my next day's water cooler comrades with your insights into the characters, the show's development, and added behind-the-scenes factoids. My Cheers backstory is I grew up in Massachusetts, not far from Boston, and although I was only one years old when the series premiered, I have fond memories of my mother watching the show as I grew up. I was only one when the show started, too, so yeah, right there, same age. Uh, so revisiting it now brings back a rush of nostalgia for the 80s and Boston, like Eric says. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, he, he goes on. Uh, Eric goes on, The reason I'm writing is I've discovered a curious oddity from the 80s involving the Cheers cast. In 1983, NBC put on an NBC All-Stars special where the Cheers cast play their characters from the show. Please forgive me if you already know about this or others have already emailed you about it. And when I say I discovered it, I really just found it randomly on YouTube. But what makes it unique is that the cast is there at the event as their characters, working it like a catered event. It is truly bizarre and amazing, and it actually starts off taking place in the Cheers bar. With that, I would categorize it as the Cheers Super Bowl spot, the U.S. bond promotion you've covered. Again, forgive me if you already know about this or have even covered it in the mailbag episode that I haven't got to yet. But as a fellow Cheers lover, I just had to reach out. And as a completist, it has to be seen. Here is the link. Uh, and he provides it, and then he says, keep up the good work. Cheers. Um, thank you. First of all, thanks, Eric, for writing in. Thank you for being a fan of the show and, and listening. That is awesome. Um, and then, wow, for finding this video that I legit, I, I had no idea that this thing existed. Or if, if another listener, forgive me, if anybody else has pointed this out, I don't remember because... I would have covered it on, on another episode. I would have made the time for it back then, um, like I did with some of those other spots, especially because like this this was during the well, obviously it was during the coach years because it was 1983. So 
for those of you if you haven't seen it and I will provide a link for it uh, in the on the website on this episode and whenever I do the, the social postings for this it's this fascinating thing and Eric kind of like described it but yeah it, it starts off in cheers as if it's like another episode and the gang is talking but they're watching on the little TV up on the corner this NBC all-star special like kind of like just a, a black tie event award show type of thing where they're just like kind of celebrating their own show and Diane is thinking about you know what would it be you know a TV show that she would love to watch would be a series about Emily Dickinson like a poet, like a poet or something and then she starts to drift off and fall asleep and it turns into her fantasy of the Cheers characters working this event like they are catering it so you have all of these real life actors and actresses and like TV people playing just themselves in the well they they are just themselves but they're next to the Cheers cast playing their characters so it's weird you have Carla interacting with Bob Hope you have Shelley Long as Diane sitting in a chair between David Hasselhoff as Michael May and Pierce Brosnan as Remington Steele and she's trying to pitch them on how it would be great to have this TV show about um, Emily Dickinson and Pierce Brosnan is like but what if she was a super spy or something like that it's a phenomenal thing and yeah I like I now that it's it's so far removed, it's a couple of years later, I don't know that I'll come back to this. Maybe it would be worth covering uh, the whole thing. Um, it is longer. It's like an hour long. So I don't know if I'll do an episode devoted to this. Um, but I, I highly just watch it for a couple of minutes or check out some clips on YouTube. I, I will provide the link. It was It's a really incredible little oddity, yeah, as Eric mentioned. And thank you, because I had never... Uh, if somebody else had pointed it out or, or mentioned it to me, I've forgotten somewhere along the way, but I think it's great. So thanks thanks for finding that. That was really cool. Okay, uh, one last thing to wrap up, and then we will finish this episode. Got a new review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you call it. Uh, this is a humble one-star review from Breeb714. The review says, Ugh, the audio quality. Makes this hard to listen to. I want this podcast so bad, I am using it to watch through the show, but the audio voice quality to 100 is bad. Um, sorry? I don't know what you're used to or what specifically about the audio quality is lacking, but that's unfortunate. Uh, there's not really anything I can do about it without knowing more about the problem. Um... Honestly, I'm glad to get a one-star review that's not based on my political views this time. So, well, there it is what that is. Um, and now that we're at the one-star reviews, I think that uh, that signals that this episode is coming to an end. Uh, that's it for this mailbag episode of Cheerscast, and I hope you enjoyed it. As per the usual routine, there will be no new episode next week, but hopefully, hopefully, I will be back on July 28th to start the second half of Season 5. Until then, thanks to all of you who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on social media and leaving comments on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford from the Right On Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents who sponsor this show. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts to support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network. Thanks to everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. And she's miserable. Mm. 
truly a damsel in despair. Mm. I think Emily should have the passion and the strength of Ingrid Bergman in Casablanca. Hmm? Oh. Yes, but she should be sexy and romantic, but tough as nails, like Lauren McCall. Mm -hmm. You know, my dear, I do see one problem. There's never been a a hit show about a poet. I mean, what if Emily were a private investigator? Ah, uh, excuse me, Sack. I need to talk to my waitress. Uh, I hate to interrupt your flirtathon, Diane. Fine, but, then uh, don't. I've got it. She'd be a cultured female crime fighter. Her sidekick would be a librarian. They'd travel cross-country in a missile-equipped bookmobile. <laughs> hey, guys, why don't we get realistic here and make her a lazy waitress who makes goo-goo eyes at TV stars all day and turns into a crime-fighting cocktail shaker at night. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That is a fantastic idea. Are you a writer? Oh, no, actually, I'm not, but... Well, you should be. You should be? Oh, absolutely. We could use a man of your imagination on Remington Steele.